Okay, gang, I got to talk about something that bugs me. You ready for this? Um, so, do you know about the cereal grape nuts? Anybody had grape nuts? Okay, all right, and I'm just, I'm just going to apologize. There was one person in first service where I found out grape nuts is their favorite cereal. So, just, I hope that I'm not introducing some stumbling blocks to church unity right now, but... Um, so, and if you, you know, you work for Kellogg or whatever, I just, I just apologize. This is not the opinions of Dallas Church. This is just Andrew Bullock. Okay, here's my problem with grape nuts. Do you know what two ingredients are not in grape nuts? Grapes and nuts. It's the name of the cereal. Which, okay, so then I, I had some questions, okay? Because this blew my mind when I was 10 years old and I was like, oh, this is the cereal that someone has and I poured myself a bowl of this and I got no grape flavor. There were no nuts in this cereal. So I, I went and did some homework. And uh, do you know why it's called grape nuts? It's hard and crunchy. Yeah, it, it has a texture Apparently, when they were inventing this cereal, they wanted something that had a little bit more crunch and felt a little bit more healthy, and by that they mean taste not as good, right? But they wanted something that would be a little healthier, and so they made this cereal, and they're like, you know what this tastes like? Is if you took all of the seeds out of a bunch of grapes and you put them in a bowl, and then you just crunched them, which doesn't sound like a good marketing campaign to me. Like... I don't understand. I'm not sitting there with my grapes and pulling them apart and dropping my seeds in. This is crazy. Okay? And so I remember the first day I figured that out. I was maybe a little frustrated. Okay? And I, I don't like it when things feel counterintuitive. It's like the name of the game is something different than what is actually happening. So here's this other thing. This is just Andrew therapy session right now. But uh, one time I went to Safeway. Okay? When I go to Safeway, you know what I want to do? I want to take the products that I need, put them in my cart. I want to walk up to the check stand. I want to pay for the products that I need, take the products that I need home, and have a great day. Like, that's what I want to do. So there's one day I go to Safeway, and the power was out. Like, the whole store is in utter darkness. I've got a cart full of stuff, and when I get to the check stand, I had cash. This was one of those crazy days. I never carry cash, but I had it. And I was like, I have money. I want to give it to you so you can give me my grape nuts right now. <laughs> and they said, we can't sell you anything. The power's out. You're a grocery store. You're supposed to make money. Imagine, right? Like we went to McDonald's. They're like, and eh, we don't do hamburgers anymore. But what? That, actually, I would mourn less than if we, I showed up in McDonald's and was like, we don't do french fries anymore, because that's, that's what I actually liked. But you show up at Taco Bell. Sorry, we don't do tacos anymore. And they also don't have bells either. I checked, right? You call a plumber. I'm having a problem. My toilet's flooding. And they're like, yeah, we don't do pipes anymore. How frustrating would that be? Now, imagine this, okay? Imagine that you are a first century Jewish person and you walk up to a fig tree and there are no figs. And I just see like all the deadpan going on right now. 
right? When I talk about grape nuts, everybody gets riled up. When I talk about Safeway not selling me groceries, ah, oh, that's terrible. We understand your pain, Andrew. But we're out of context with fig trees. We don't have a ton of them. See, in the first century, um, a fig tree was kind of like a candy store on the corner. And maybe you can identify this. Like if you went somewhere expecting the snack and you got no snack, how do you feel? We have a word for that. It's called hangry. It's when you're angry and hungry at the same time. And we're going to look in a moment in the life of Jesus where he goes to a fig tree and there's no figs. And I promise you there's a spiritual lesson in there somewhere, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we are here as your people um, and as your church. And we open your word because we believe it has something to tell us. And Father, we invite your spirit into this room. God, we open up our hearts and ask you to speak in such a way that we bear fruit and in such a way that we are changed people because of our encounter with you. And so we ask you, Jesus, to keep pushing us forwards, to keep drawing us closer to you. And we hope that this moment and this, this hour of worship um, pulls us closer. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, for those of you keep, keeping score at home, we are in Matthew chapter 21. And we'll be starting with verse 18, okay? So here we are in our series, Tales of the Kingdom, which has been one of the longest series that I have ever participated in in Dallas Church. Because we've, we've been chunking up the Gospel of Matthew into little chunks. So we had one chunk, which was chapters 1 through 4, and we got Baby Jesus, the Christmas story, John the Baptist. And then we got the Sermon on the Mount, which was another chunk. And then we entered into just this long season, and we called it Tales of the Kingdom because it's all these little mini stories. It's all these little miracles. Some of them are parables. Some of them are Jesus just straight up looking his disciples in the eye and saying, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. Because what he's doing is he's painting a picture in all of this about what it means to live as a person who is following after God. What does it mean to live as a person in lockstep with the spirit of God chasing after the mission of God? In, an, in essence, like Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live. And they are learning not just in the moments when Jesus looks them in the eye and says, do this, don't do that. They're learning in the miracles that he does. They're learning in the stories that he tells. They're learning in the way that he speaks to someone. Because Jesus is trying to teach, yes, but the kingdom of God in this situation is also caught. And so we've, we've reached the final, final week of Jesus' life. Congratulations. We're here. But we will not finish the book of Matthew until December. Because... There is so much content devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. Because every single little thing that he does is dripping with symbolism. It is so important. It is almost like, um, and actually like movie directors do this all the time. They play with the pacing of stories 
to up how important something is. The Gospel of John would actually devote the full last 50% to one week of Jesus' life. And so when we come across a story about figs, in the middle of this final week, maybe there's something more going on than just Jesus needing a snack. Because here he is, and if you remember last week, we preached on what we traditionally celebrate the week before Easter. We call that Palm Sunday because everybody uh, put the palm branches and the cloaks down. They were singing Hosanna to the King, and Jesus rides in on a donkey. And I have been in so many, like, kids' pageants of reenacting that. So I can tell you how many times as a kid I, like, walked through church with a palm branch on Palm Sunday. But last week, we preached on it even though it wasn't Palm Sunday, and I promise you that's okay. But so here Jesus is. He's in the temple city, and they declare, Hosanna to the king. This is the Messiah. And it's almost like up to this point, he has been more Clark Kent than he's been Superman. Like he's got the glasses and the journalist bag, and whenever he heals someone, he says, don't tell anyone that I did this to you. Because it's almost like they're keeping the secret under wraps. Well, that secret is not under wraps anymore. It is out there. Jesus is here literally flipping tables because he walks into the temple and, and he sees the money changing. He sees that the chief priests, the Sadducees, this ruling class of Jewish people, they are profiting from people's worship. They are selling sacrifices at an exorbitant price. And and one of the interesting things, or something that just kind of struck me as I was studying this, so can you imagine if there was only one church campus on the face of planet Earth? You can't, right? That's just so weird. It's so different. There's like 35 church campuses in Dallas alone. And, and if you think about it, like what happens in Dallas if we're like, you know, Andrew goes off the rails and he's not following Jesus? Like, what do you guys do? Well, you know, you call Ben is what you do because he sorts it out. But, but, but what if there was a church campus where you can't actually worship God? You are, you are blocked from that. Or they are profiting and using and abusing. Well, now you can just go to the church down the street. But back then, there's only one temple. There's only one high priest. And that place, that campus, that moment of worship was supposed to be something that bore fruit in the hearts of people. It wasn't just an exercise. It wasn't just a formality. The whole point was that this was the place where God's spirit was supposed to interact with humans, where they were supposed to be right with God. Because here's just what I know about people. We have deep spiritual needs that only God can meet. And can you imagine if you walk into church and we're like, sorry, there's not enough money in your account. You can't come in here. That's ridiculous. Of course Jesus was mad. And so he flips over all these tables. He upsets the status quo. And then he goes back to his Airbnb in Bethany. That's what he does. He goes to the other. He leaves, right? The, the temple mount, and then he goes to Bethany. And here we go in verse 18. It says, early in the morning. So the next day, Jesus is returning to the city, and he was hungry. 
And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. There are no grapes. There are no nuts. Right? This is a fig tree. It's got one job. The one job of a fig tree is to have figs. And it's, it's not the season for figs. Um, but what would happen with a fig tree is if it had leaves, that was an advertisement. That a fig tree was saying, I have figs. Like, that's the way fig trees work, is if they've got leaves on them, then they are open for business. You can go in. And Jesus comes up, and there are no figs. And so he looks at the tree, and he said to it, may no fruit come from you ever again. Which is not what I said to the Safeway attendant when <laughs> they would not take my money. But Jesus, he looks at this fig tree and he curses it, and at once the fig tree withered. Now, if, if you've read this story in Mark, um, this story actually probably happened across two separate days. So like day one, Jesus walks in, curses the fig tree, and then the next day when they are walking by it, one of the disciples out of the corner of eye, his eye goes, that, that tree's dead. And then the second half of the story happens. But what Matthew has done is he's put them together. Because as we've established, gospel authors, they get to do that. They get to play with the pacing. Because the, the point is not necessarily journalistic in this moment. The point is theological. The point is symbolic. And so Jesus walks up to this tree and he curses it and it withers because the, the tree is not bearing fruit. There's no figs. And what's the whole point of the tree is to have figs. What is the whole point of the temple? Is for God and people to have an intersection. The whole point of, actually the whole point of like the story of God. Like we go back to Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, right, all the way up. To Matthew, this story of God has been about God coming to broken humanity and causing something new to come about. And that is, in the language of the prophets, that is supposed to be something sweet. That is supposed to be something yummy and beautiful and nourishing. So, you can take the kid's pastor out of the kid's wing, but you cannot take the kids wing out of the kids pastor, okay? Here's how this works. I've got object lessons for everybody. We got figs all around you. Do you see these in the bowl? And, and then here's, here's, here's beyond this. You guys, are you looking, right? You guys are just like staring up front. What is this? This is for you to eat. I've got candy out there because if you're brave enough, there are some weird looking figs in those bowls, and I promise you, I have tested, these are all um, Dallas Church pastor approved snacks that have been put out for you. Um, the weird looking figs are Turkish figs, which are probably, I'm assuming, closer to what Jesus would have had in the Middle East. Um, there are these ones that look kind of like glorified raisins, and those are from Fresno, California. So if you're feeling less brave, um, you can have some of those. And then also, if you're like, I am a 21st century American, Andrew. I do not eat figs as candy. I put real candy out for you. You're welcome. I don't know the next time I'm dishing out candy in the middle of a sermon. But today, life is good. So, um, and, and as you eat that, I want you to maybe think about, like, what, 
What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean that following God and having a life on the path of Jesus is something sweet, is something nourishing? Because here's, here's what I know. I've had many interactions with people who follow Jesus, who are wearing the Jesus jersey, that were less than sweet, right? I, I have had a picture in my head of what it means to live a life submitted to God. Um, there was like even, I remember there was like a song when I was a kid that was like, don't send me to Africa. I was like, why, why are we singing about how we don't want God to be ruler of our life? Because we're afraid that it could be bad. It could cost us. It could be scary. But the, the, the path of Jesus is supposed to produce fruit in our life. And so here Jesus is. He's come to the temple. And there's nothing sweet. There's nothing nourishing. There's nothing to be shared with the people around them. And so Jesus looks at this tree, and he says, may no fruit come from you again, and it withers and it dies. And the disciples don't ask any questions about what that could mean. The disciples just say, wow, that's really cool. Verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they were amazed, and they said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? How much power does Jesus have? Like, this is what they're interested in. And I, I think this is also where Jesus puts in a little bit of hope at the end. Because he answers them. He says, truly, if you have faith and do not doubt, uh, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so here's, here's the hope that Jesus adds to it. Because in the Bible, in the story of the Old Testament, the prophets would look at Israel. There were times where Israel got off track. And the prophets would look at Israel and they would say, I came looking. God is looking for fruit and there are no figs to be had. The mission of God is not being accomplished. And then what is the prescription? How do we get back on track? And Jesus says, you will do greater things if you believe and you will receive what you ask for in prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is connection with God. Prayer is abiding. That's a, that's a Bible word for just hanging out. Being in the presence of. Because what does Jesus tell his disciples about the way to bear fruit? And I understand he's talking about grapes. So once again, if you're keeping score at home, I'm mixing Jesus' metaphors. He didn't mix his metaphors, but I am. He says that I am the vine and you are the branches. And if the branches are connected to the vine, they will bear much fruit. What happens if we cut off a branch from the tree? Do you get more fruit? No, you get a dead branch. That's what you get. You get a stick that my daughter picks up and pokes everything with. That's, that's what you get. You don't get figs. And so I, I wonder if the encouragement to us, because I, I do believe like God 
would have for us something beautiful where we bear fruit, where we produce sweetness in our life, where when people go looking for something, there is something to be found. And how do we do that? By connection to the source, by prayer. Last year, I had um, was probably it's like a little mini come to Jesus reconversion moment. Okay, I was invited to a four-hour prayer meeting with my friends um, that were they are now overseas planting churches in Africa, and and they were going over there and they they had this meeting and at first when I was invited to a four-hour prayer meeting, you know what I said? No way, Jose. Like I got. I got more to do. I was like, I don't have time to pray. I got to go do the work of God. Wait a minute. And, and honestly, like, I, I had thought, um, I had kind of, I think I had, I had started to lose my faith in the power of prayer and how much time I was willing to give out of my schedule to that. And so, uh, Somehow, there was a tug on my heart that was like, Andrew, you know what you're going to do, right? You're going to drive two hours down to Eugene to go to the four-hour prayer meeting so that you can see your friends and then drive two hours back. And, and I think in a, at a fleshly level, I probably was going to see my friends before they left for three years. But it's interesting because I show up, I go to this prayer meeting, and we're praying about bearing fruit and making disciples. And the spirit of God showing up in people's lives and interrupting and changing and causing fruit to happen. And then, and then there was a series of like four different things that happened simultaneously. There was a phone call that I had with someone from Salt Lake City, Utah. There was someone who used to be a part of the Dallas Ministerial Association um, who invited me to a disciple maker training. There was a podcast episode that I listened to at 9 p.m. driving my daughter home from a date night where she was babysat by grandma. And God just was hitting me over the head with a two-by-four about some of the ways I was doing ministry. And so I took that training, and I step into this disciple-maker training, and the homework and the challenge, they called it the 3 two, one challenge. You had to spend three hours a week in personal prayer uh, with, with Jesus, you needed to spend two hours a week with people who didn't know Jesus, and then one hour a week in corporate prayer with other believers. And I looked at my calendar, and as a pastor, I said, do I have time for this? And, and it's kind of embarrassing how hard it was to start to carve out an hour of prayer with other Christians. Because I started to kind of do the math. I was like, well, you know, we do about 15 minutes before staff meeting. Um, we do, you know, about 10 minutes before service. So I'm, I'm about, you know, I'm getting there. But it's interesting how often we do it in passing. Prayer is something we say before we eat. It's not the lifeblood that sustains my life. And maybe some of you are way ahead of me, and I'm just preaching to the choir, and I, I invite you to teach me. Tell me cool things. 
But I also wonder if there's an encouragement for us. If we want to bear fruit, we go to the source. If we want to be fruitful, we connect to the source. And it's, it's interesting, he talks about not doubting. And I found it fascinating. That doesn't mean that there's no little voice in the back of your mind saying, does this really work? Are we really doing the right thing? Uh, that's actually not what the Greek authors had in mind when they used that word. Doubting actually refers to a double mind. Someone who's hedging their bets. They've got two plans. If this works one way, I'm all in on Jesus, we're praying, but if it doesn't, I got a backup. But Jesus says that you can't doubt, meaning you put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. We're all in on this. And speaking of people who aren't all in, Jesus goes into the temple and he talks to the priest. Verse 23, then he enters the temple and the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and he was teaching and they said, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Now, this isn't Jesus sidestepping the issue. This is how rabbis would talk back and forth. They would ask their questions. So the answer to the question they're asking is in the answer to the question Jesus is asking. This is almost like kind of a rap battle that's happening right now as they're picking up their microphones. And Jesus looks at them. He said, did John's baptism come from heaven or was it from human origin? If you want to know what authority I have, let's talk about this guy named John because John upset the status quo. John was that forerunner. He looked the chief priests and the elders of the people dead in the eyes and he said, you brood of vipers, you have to change. You have to repent. You have to come into something brand new. But what the chief priests were all about was the status quo and the stability. They said, we can't change this. This would cost us too much. We can't go all in on following this John guy. We can't say that he's a prophet. We can't repent. Because what actually had happened not too long before was there was a high priest named Annas. And he is not the high priest when Jesus is killed. But they don't follow the right succession plan. Because the only way you get rid of a high priest is when his life is done. When he dies, his successor takes over. But what would happen is Rome came in and said, Annas, you can't keep the order with the people. You can't keep things hunky-dory, smooth sailing, no conflict the way we want it to. And so we're just going to get a guy who can. And they go get Caiaphas as the high priest. So who's really controlling the temple? Who's really the Lord in that situation? And I wonder if some of the things they've got going on where they're like, I don't want to mess with the status quo. I'm comfy where I'm at. Let me tell you what I did last night. I turned on Netflix, and I sat on my really comfy couch. And I thought, this is great. I hope God doesn't mess with this. Right? And I wonder if that's where some of us get in life. It's comfy. I like this. I figured it out. If... If Jesus is Lord or if I need to grow figs, if I have to bear fruit, this could be scary. Yep, following Jesus is scary sometimes. So what do, they, what do they do when Jesus asks them the question? They discuss it amongst themselves and they say, well, if we say he's from heaven, 
he will say to us, well, then why didn't you believe John? But if we say it's of human origin, then we're afraid of the crowd because everyone considers John to be a prophet. And so the high priests look at Jesus and as he invites them into something new, they say, we don't know. We don't know. And I, I do think there are times in our lives where we don't know the answer and God guides us through uncertainty. That's, that's a definite truth. But, but here is also something that I know about Andrew's heart. There are times where I have felt called to something very specific and I've said, eh, maybe, maybe that's just bad pizza. Maybe, maybe that's not the spirit of God pulling on me. Maybe I just don't know. I don't know what God's calling me to. And I would ask us the question, uh, are we using that as a defense mechanism? Because these guys do. And I wonder if sometimes we say, I don't know, when like Jesus would open the whole Bible and say, but I told you, like he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what the Lord requires of you to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And these people, they want to hang on to the status quo and they say, well, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, then I won't tell you. If you won't answer my question, I won't answer yours. They've got the double mind. And the question they never ask is, what is God doing in the middle of this? Do you see what they, they're concerned about? And so then Jesus tells them a story. Because the stories of Jesus are mirrors that we hold up to our heart. And we see ourselves in them. He comes to them. He says, well, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, my son, go work in the vineyard. And the son answered. He says, I don't want to. Which is unheard of in Palestine. If your dad says, go work in the field. like, And maybe, maybe your house was like this. I would never. If my mom asked me to do something, I would never say, I will not. That just didn't fly in my house. But this, this son, he looks at the dad and he says, I won't. But then later, he goes and works in the vineyard. And then the man went to the other son and did the same thing. He says, go work in my vineyard. He says, I will, sir. But the son who says, yes, I will, he doesn't go. Now, which one of the two sons bears fruit? The first one. The one that says no, and then he follows through. And then Jesus connects it to what's going on in their day. He says, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But, when, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and believe him. Now, here's... Here's just what I will bridge the gap with some contextualization. Okay, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were people who traded in their identity as God's children for financial gain. They were men who had done that. They said, I want to be rich, stable, have what I need, and so I'm going to go work for Rome. And basically, prostitution was the female equivalent of that in that day. Because they would, they would work at the inns and they'd be around the Roman people. And, and so this is, this is about who 
is exchanging their birthright as the children of God to give power to Rome, to give them stability and peace in their life. So I've got a question for you. What are the high priests doing? They've exchanged their birthright as children of God to bear the fruit of God's mission in the world. And they've given it to Rome because they're not going to accept Jesus because they want the stability and the status quo. And that's a mirror. Because following God is all about repentance. Following God is all about changing direction. Because here's what I know about my heart. It likes couches and Netflix. It likes to be comfy. It likes the status quo. But the status quo will not bear fruit. And that's what Jesus looks at when he sees a fig tree, when he sees these chief priests. They are supposed to be the children of God, bringing the mission of God into the world. And that's supposed to be sweet. That's supposed to be beautiful. And so I think this is a question for us to do an inventory. Uh, we're coming into September. September is like the academic calendar, right? We start new rhythms, some of us. Um, and, and I might ask you, what is God calling you to do to bear fruit? What is the fruit that God might have in mind? Because here's, here's the deal, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know your story. I don't know your scars. I don't know your gifts. I know some of it. But God knows all of it. And so what is he calling you to do to bear fruit? What is the next step you could take? What might be something scary? What might be something that we need the power of prayer and the power of God to do? Not too long ago, I was having a day, and maybe you've had a day before, where you are at the end of your rope. And I was having a conversation with God. I was like, God, I do not have anything in my hands to give anybody else right now. I am tapped out. And I felt like God looked at me and he said, finally, your hands are empty so I can put something in them. Finally, you are an empty branch that is ready to bear some fruit. I wonder how many of us might be there. And so here's, here's just as we ask some questions. I might ask us, what is a character trait that God is growing in us? If we want to talk about what bearing fruit is, um, they talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is there one of those that we can point to and we're like, oh man, God's working on that in my life. The other thing when it comes to bearing fruit is who is someone else that you have taken under your wing to show them how to follow Jesus? And some of you are like, oh man, I can't do that. I don't have pastor in front of my name. I know. That never became part of the equation. Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he gives them all the mission to go and Make disciples. And you don't have to be, you know, all the way at the end of the journey to bring someone else along with you. You just got to be two or three steps ahead. 
And so I would hope all of us have somebody. And if you don't, you don't have somebody that you're like, yep, that's who God is bearing fruit in my life so that I can share something with them. I might ask us to start praying for that person. Start looking for that person. Because I totally believe that God would call us to bear fruit. This is what the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Colossae. He said, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, make us people who never cease to pray. Make us people who are filled with the knowledge of your will. Jesus, give us wisdom. Give us understanding to know the path to take and which step to make. Jesus, help us walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have put on our lives and of the way that you have made us and guided our steps. May you be fully pleased by the fruit that we bear as we do good works. And as we do good works, that we would increase in the knowledge of you that we would do it through the strength of your spirit, according to your might. Give us endurance and patience and joy as we walk the path. We give thanks to you, Father, because of what you've given us and the way that you pulled us out of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of light. And Jesus, we ask you to use us to do the same in the lives of others. Amen.